Uh, if you have your Bibles, or if you need one, they're in the, under the seats in front of you. We're in the letter of 1 Timothy today. So we're uh, pausing our summer series in the Psalms. Uh, we'll pick that up again sometime, but uh, we're going to look at 1 Timothy this morning. Mandy and I, um, in our second year of marriage, traveled to Kenya. Um, we were had some freedom then, no kids yet, and so we spent... I don't know, seven, eight weeks there, and uh, ended up, you know, adopting two kids and came back home um, to Wisconsin, where we were born and raised, the best state in the union, I think. Um, Then shortly after that, we moved to North Carolina, where I, I went to seminary. And when we moved to North Carolina, we just figured we were moving to like another state in the same country that was similar to the state we lived in. And it didn't take too long to realize that it wasn't um, a different state in the same country, but more like a different country. It was a different, it, and, and really the initial benefit was hush puppies. If you've ever had hush puppies, they are incredible, and we gave God thanks for hush puppies, but there wasn't much else. It was very disconcerting, and we were there three years, and it wasn't really until three years that we began to feel normal and home there. And then we, we came back to Wisconsin. And I bring that up just because, you know, it seems like we've entered into a different world in 2020. It's different here now. Things are different. It's unsettling maybe, unnerving. Uh, there's fear. And uh, the most often repeated phrase in 2020 that's kind of floating around like those pollen clouds is the new normal. You've heard that a few times, right? I'm getting kind of tired of that one, but that's it. And now, Governor Evers continued to shape this new normal with the mask mandate. I think I saw that 33 out of 50 states have such mandates, and now we've joined the minority. And so it's not new, but it's new to us. And just so you're aware, we, uh, under the mandate, you would be required to wear a mask indoors, except in your private residence, and except for those five and under, and except for those who have physical and mental health and pastors and pulpits. And I was wondering if there is a connection between pastors and mental health and five and under. But um, so there's that. Uh, and as he said, our elders met right after we saw the mandate. Uh, we met over ice cream at Jets. And so we weren't suffering too much. And just really figuring out what does this mean for our church? What do we do now? And And we have, since this happened in the middle of March, been working towards a document outlining when we will uh, gladly submit to the governing authorities and under what conditions we could no longer submit. But because of Governor Evers' first um, stay-at-home order being struck down by the Supreme Court, we didn't feel we had too much of a hurry. Our document's getting close to finishing, but it wasn't done yet. And so we didn't expect this to happen. I don't think anybody in our state expected this to happen because of the Supreme Court's decision saying that his first order was against our state constitution. So we were a bit caught off guard, um, unmasked, if you will. And and, and so where we've landed, and I want to get into this looking through 1 Timothy, where where we've landed is um, with in our church gathering, we aren't going to require it. In fact, within Governor Evers' order, uh, with all the exceptions, um, 
he asks that no one ask anybody else why they're not wearing a mask. Um, and, and so the position that puts us in as church leadership is if you're not wearing a mask, we're not supposed to ask you why, according to his order. And, and so we decided not to do that. And then along with it, which, which I want to get into in a, bit, in, in, in a bit here, in a bit more depth, is uh, outside of the church, he is within his full prerogative to mandate such things, even according to our state constitution. He, he has the right. And we should submit. We, we should follow his order. But within the sacred sphere of the church, within the gathering of the church, that authority has been given by God to pastors, elders, and deacons. And when it came to the issue of masking, which itself isn't like a, a biblically explicit issue, there, there is um, opportunity for difference of conscience on this one. But our feeling was that masking during worship so detracts from what we do in worship that we're not going to require it within the church and yet encouraging outside of the church to be in full submission to it. Um, and e- even among us as elders, we, we have differences here. We're not in complete uniformity on it, and nor do we expect any of you to. We, we want to encourage you to, in your differences of conscience, to... Continue to be uh, loving to each other in that, to disagree and explain your reasons with each other and, and yet not look down on each other. And so that, that's where we're at. And during that meeting, as I said, the, the elders asked me to forego Psalm 6 and, and, and come up with a sermon towards this. And so I've done that. And Saturday morning, I read First Timothy as a part of our summer Bible reading program. And during it, uh, I think I'm just going to preach kind of an overview or a, a bus stop, if you would. When I was a senior in high school, I took French in high school. The only reason I took French in high school is because every four years, the French class went to France. And so that's why I did it. Um, and so my senior year, I got to go to France. I think it was 16 days. And, and what it was, was like a bus tour around France. We would stop in Germany and I think in Geneva as well. Uh, but, you know, you would just see some of the highlights of France, and so I'm going to do that in First Timothy. I want to kind of make four stops at significant things that were helpful to me as I was reading through it, that the Lord was encouraging me and convicting me. And so that, that's what I want to do too. I'm going to give you some selections from the letter of First Timothy. First uh, Timothy itself, if you look in chapter 3, verse 15, was written from uh, the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is the eternal word of God to a pastor so that he might know how to behave in the household of God. That's the purpose of the letter. And so I figured this would be helpful under the Lord's guidance for us this morning. So I'm going to read a few different excerpts. I'll let you know where we're going to be. Let's start in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. There we read, um, uh, we'll start in verse 6. Certain persons by serving from these have wandered into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. 
in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying was trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience and example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. There'll be other texts we go to, but let me read that for now. Let's pray, and then I want to uh, explain that. Father, we, by your Spirit, by grace, do what's right. And so do not leave us unprotected in this difficult time. Give us, your servants, your pledge of good promises May our eyes long for your salvation. Deal with us according to your steadfast love. And do it now, Father, please, in teaching us your statutes. We are your servants. Give us understanding that we may know your testimonies. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the Holy Spirit begins this personal letter to Timothy from the inspired Apostle Paul after a warm greeting with the gospel. And many of us, I think probably most of us, have tried to keep well informed about what's going on, all things related to COVID. We, we've looked at constitution. We've looked at infectious disease transmission. You've read articles on the effectiveness or not of masks and so forth. That's good, and, and we should do that. We want to be well informed. And yet, I do wonder, are we so keen to be as informed on the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are, are, are we so committed to be as well informed on all that God has done for us sinners to reconcile us to himself through the shed blood of his Son? One of the great problems that you and I will face, one of the temptations, is towards arrogance in this time. We, it, it, it is, I think, rather easy to look down on others in authority or to look down on others who are on the opposite side of something like a mask. And yet, in order to encourage us to consider the gospel, consider in this text first the law. Paul provides a list, a list here of areas of sin, all of which, or many of which, will apply to you personally. Maybe in your past, maybe in the present. In fact, in verse 15, Paul gives this trustworthy and deserving of a full acceptance saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. Not whom I was, 
who I am. I wanted to bring this out, not to beat you over the head, but to provide us again a reminder of why we as Christians should be very humble. When we came to faith in Christ, we came because we knew the justice of God against us for our sin and rebellion against him. My own testimony, I grew up in a good Christian church that preached the gospel. I grew up in a godly family that my mom and dad loved Christ and led us in family devotions. Um, And yet there, there was a time in my life where I strayed from that. I knew the gospel. I had accepted Christ and I walked away from it. I sinned against his grace. I knew what I was doing. I knew the condemnation I deserved. I was a sinner fully worthy of God's ripe condemnation. And it was the fear of hell, (laughs) the fear of God's justice that I knew was absolutely right. I had no excuse. I I had nothing to explain it away. And it humbled me. And so it should humble us. It should humble, humble us. And so the good news is Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like us. He came in mercy. We receive his mercy. Later on in chapter 2, verse 5, we read that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and, and men, the man, Christ Jesus. You might remember last summer they were building the roundabout where Highway 8 comes into the city. And during it, they did some bridge construction. And I don't remember if there was a time where that bridge was actually out. Was it ever out? I don't think so. I think it went down to one lane. And at least in the Northwoods, it was congested for the Northwoods, right? You actually had to wait a, a few minutes. Well, we, we have a mediator who allows us to come into the presence of the Holy God, sinners though we be, removing our sin, giving us righteousness, and, and it's never congested for us to go into his presence, ever. Even though we know what we deserve. And so apply that to this situation. Paul calls himself the chief sinner, the foremost sinner. He knows himself better than anybody else knows him. He knows who he was. He knows what goes on in his heart. He knows the thoughts in his mind. And we need to put first things first. And though we complain and, and though we disagree with some of the mandates and though we disagree with the changes in the world, you and I know we deserve infinitely worse. We deserve hell. We deserve God's wrath. You and I deserve this. And yet we have not received it. In fact, we have received the atoning sacrifice of God's Son on a cross in our place, removing our sin, removing God's wrath over our sin, granting us the eternal righteousness of the Son of God who sits at the right hand of God and is right now mediating for you and I. We will partake of the Lord's Supper in just a bit. 
where we are again reminded that we are welcomed into God's home as his beloved children, given a seat at his table and fed by his hand. And so I would encourage you, I would urge you, I would exhort you, in this time, don't forget what you deserve from God and yet what you have received. And may that be foremost in your mind. There's only one thing that the Bible says is of first importance in 1 Corinthians 15. It's the gospel. And so let that be of first importance. And then in chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says that we are to set our hope on the living God. We have set our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. And what is the right response of a believer to this great gospel? If you would continue on in chapter 1, after Paul explains this gospel in verse 17, he moves seamlessly right into doxology, right into praise. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Knowing this gospel... Having this gospel as the foremost thing in your mind should lead you to rejoicing and praising the God who gave you his son. Right? To the king of ages. And so I, I, want, I want to urge you, encourage you, those on the live stream, those here in person, to be happy in the Lord during the season because of Christ. To find your joy in the Lord, your strength in the Lord, to not be so easily moved by all that's going on because you and I have eternal life in Christ. And then, who really gives a rip about a mask? Does it really matter? Is it really worth the amount of time and energy you've put into it? In light of Christ, does it really matter that much? I mean, would it really detract from your life so much for you to have to wear a mask? I mean, we do have to get over ourselves a bit here, don't we? I do have to get over myself a bit here, don't I? I think the gospel is the way for you to go through this much more steady and much more happy and much more glorifying to God. That's the first stop. The second stop, then, is, uh, is chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Let me read it. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one man, I'm sorry, for there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ, Jesus. So, the gospel is political. The gospel does include our participation in political realities, and it begins with Jesus Christ is the king. To whom all glory and honors have eternally given, So the gospel then informs our politics. It teaches us submission to authority. Of course, Romans 13 has 
been on our minds. It's, it's something that many of us have discussed. Let every person be subject to the governing authority, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So let's get the order straight. Jesus Christ is the king of all authority. A couple Sundays ago, Pastor Jeff preached Psalm 2, where we sing of God's response to the rebellion of earthly authorities by installing his king as the king of kings who commands all other kings, all other rulers, to submit to him, to take refuge in him and receive his blessing. So Christ is king. And that's true in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. So he is king of all governors. He is king of all mayors. He is king of all authority in every realm of this earth. He is king of fathers. He is king of husbands. He is king of elders and pastors and deacons. He is king of employers. and He is the king. And in submission to Christ the king, we are to submit to the governing authorities. And here we are urged in that submission, we are told how to submit and to do so by being very prayerful for those who are all in, who, who are in high positions, that, that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives. Now, most of you, how many of you were born and raised in the Northwoods up here? How many of you moved here from somewhere else? Right, right, right. Why did you move here? To live a quiet and peaceful life, right? Social distancing is kind of like, well, that's, what, that, that's how we live up here, right? Most of us live up here, and this is our experience. We want to live peaceful, quiet lives. And Paul says, that's a good thing. And if you want that, then pray for those in authority. And it looks like to me the context here is praying for them in order that they might come to Christ. So we should be praying that for Governor Evers. I said a few weeks ago that Governor Evers doesn't need any more mercy than you do. You, you need as much grace from God as he does. You are saved by the same mercy that he would be saved by. And so you are urged to pray for him. We are urged to pray for him. And so are you. Are you bringing him before the king of all kings? The king that we read in Proverbs twenty twenty one. The king and the governing authority whose heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he wills. Cannot our Lord turn the heart of our governor? Now one of the good effects of our governor's mask mandate is that it should motivate us to pray more. Because it is humiliating. does humble you. It should cause you in humility then to turn to your God in praying for our governor. But this leads then to what I think the elders wanted, asked me to talk about is, is how does the church relate to the state? How, how does the ecclesiastical authority relate to the civil authority? Well, what one of the simplest ways to understand it is in each sphere, God has set authorities over that sphere. And so in the civil sphere, God has set authorities over it, employers and 
police officers and governors and mayors and, and so on. And then in the church sphere, in the ecclesiastical sphere, God has set authorities over her, pastors, elders, deacons. And then also church mothers and church fathers, those that you look to in the faith to help you become more like Christ. And then, though those spheres will sometimes overlap, like we're seeing now, they do have distinct places to exercise their authority. And so within the church, the exercise of authority there is given to the pastors, elders, and deacons, and not to mayors and governors and police officers, except in very limited circumstances for limited times when there is very dire threat to life. So if we had an active shooter in here, let's say, we, we would want the civil sphere to intrude on us. Or if there was something like a plague and the governor said, don't meet because a large percentage of your people will die, we would, we would welcome that intrusion. But we would never forfeit our authority here. It's still our willing free, um, uncoerced decision to or not to submit to that authority. And so even in this case, like earlier in March, whether or not we would mandate masks here, ultimately within the realm of the gathering of church would be left up to the authorities in over our church, the elders, pastors and deacons. Now, we do call, the the way that the church is to influence the civil realm is through the preaching of God's word and through the exhorting of the civil authority to obey God and to even submit to our governing rule, the Constitution. And so when this first happened in March, I was early of the opinion persuaded that Governor Evers was outside of his constitutional authority. But I went to some of our local authorities and asked them to help me understand it. And, and one of them actually took out our state constitution and took out the state statutes and, and showed me that I was wrong. Governor Evers' safer at home mandate was within his constitutional authority. Now, he had a 60-day authority, which he exceeded, which is why our Supreme Court uh, called it unconstitutional and then said that any future things like that needed to go through a bipartisan legislative committee or process or something. I, I don't understand at all. And yet we know Governor Evers is, is not a believer And even while he urges us to protect life by remaining safer at home or by wearing masks, which I I do want to urge you to give him the benefit of the doubt. I would want you to do that for me in any decisions I make. Husbands and fathers would want you to do that for the decisions they make. Mothers would want their children to give them the benefit of the doubt where they disagree. Let me just put it this way. You as parents 
have asked your children to do things that your children found very unreasonable. Right? That they disagreed with. And sometimes your children are correct. And yet, what do you still expect from them? Obedience. And for them to think the best of you, that you have their best in mind. And so, of course, COVID-19 is very helpful to you and I in showing us our hypocrisy. Praise God for that. This is a good gift of God, isn't it? Where we demand of someone, we, we won't give to the governor. And yet, he also needs to be called out in his hypocrisy. Well, he says that the whole mask mandate is in order to protect life. He is a governor who urges more abortions. Right now, our state has suffered just under 1,000 deaths related in some way to COVID-19, whether it's from COVID-19 or with COVID-19, we're not sure. But that right now in relation to our state population is 0.00017% of our population. Every year in Wisconsin, just under 9% of all pregnancies end with the slaughter of a baby from her mother's womb. An average of 6,000 human lives created in the image of God will be destroyed annually in our straight state. That, that infuriates the holy God in heaven. What we are currently experiencing is God's discipline of our state, of our nation, for the murdering of unborn children and for all the sexual immorality that led to it. And we should humble ourselves under the Lord's discipline, pleading with Him for repentance of our nation and of our state, knowing that God is patience, but His patience will only last so long. And so we should fear God. You must call on Re Representative Swearingen, who I believe is pro-life, and he has done very little to end the murdering of unborn children in our state. And so, how, how can we, in that way, believe him that he cares about protecting life when he does not care about protecting those lives? And so what are we to do? Well, we're here urged to pray. That's, that's what we're here to do. It is my job and yours to call our governing authorities to repentance and then where the civil authority intrudes on matters within the church, on things like preaching and teaching the word of God or the administration of the sacraments over the powers of the keys of the kingdom, interfering in any matters of faith, we do have a duty as church fathers with humility to resist that intrusion. And it is the elders' opinion, at least within the church, that the mask mandate in our area with what we've seen you suffer because of the safer at home is such an intrusion. And we could be wrong on that. I myself am still debating within my head whether or not Romans 13 would call me to wear a mask in here when I'm not up here preaching. I'm not sure. I'm debating with myself yet. Outside of here, 
I think because of Romans 13, we do have an obligation. Because we must obey God, who tells us to submit to our governing authorities. And our governing authority, no matter if you agree if he's right or wrong, no matter if you agree on the effectiveness or not of masks, Romans 13 doesn't say submit to the governing authorities unless you think they're wrong. And so we should. Now, one of the difficulties is that because of the virus, because it is lethal, particularly for a certain segment of our um, population, you know, some are not gathering yet with us. We, we're missing, I don't know, what about 100 or so here every Sunday that would normally be here. And yet we have a command in Hebrews 10 to not forsake the gathering. And yet these circumstances may be one of those in which it is right for some to remain apart and hopefully join through the live stream. And yet I would even ask those to be very careful that this isn't an excuse Because I, I know myself, I know you, it's much easier just to get out of bed and remain in your pajamas and turn on the TV. And, and so I, I, would, I would ask you to be careful there. And yet I've talked with, I think, all of you who are not coming, or at least most of you. And some of, many of you have very legitimate reasons for not yet coming. But it is very important for us to gather as the church. It is very important. All right, I, I, I am going on. One of the things I do want to urge, Chris Fredrickson is in our church. He's the mayor of Rhinelander. Please be in much prayer for him. Lloyd Gauthier is the chief of police. He is in our church. This has caused a lot of difficulty for him. Be in prayer for him. And then we have Jim Winkler, county board. Brett, Ryan serve as police officers. These times have been very, very difficult for these men. I mean, incredibly difficult particularly for those in law enforcement. So I would encourage texts and phone calls and encouragement for them and thanking them for their work. All right, are you sticking with me? We're all right? How are people in the nursery doing? Are they they're doing all right? Okay. I got, I got two, two more quick stops, if you could. In 1 Timothy 3, men are called to aspire to the office of elder, and it's called a noble task. And one of the ways that I want to encourage you during this time, Ephesians 5.16 says we're going to make the best use of time because the days are evil. First Timothy closes with an exhortation to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share. How are we to use the time we've been given during this time? How can we put this time to good use? Well, one thing I want to exhort you to is for men to use this time to consider where they need to take a next step towards becoming qualified to be an elder. In chapter 4, verse 17, no, no, that's wrong, 4, 7, it says bodily training is some value, godliness is value in every way, it holds a promise for the present life and life to come. One of the ways is, within the qualifications for elderships, is in regards to your family. 
qualified to be an elder is to manage your household well, to be husband of one wife, to be loving your wife well, and so forth. Many of you have been have said to me how, how thankful you are for this kind of safer at home time, that your calendar is much more free and you have much more time with your spouse and much more time with your family. So I want to urge you to put that, use, that time to good use with your family. Where is it in your family where your household management isn't what it needs to be and what can you do during this time to do that better before the Lord? How can you grow during this time? In chapter 5, the first 16 verses are teaching the church how to care for widows, for those who much, might have the most need. And by way of commendation, we, we did have a widow who tested positive for COVID-19 and was sick for several weeks, and our deacons and others stepped up and took really good care of her. And by and large, you do very well here, and I want to encourage that, and I want, to, I want to commend you for it and continue to encourage your care because probably the safer at home stuff has been most difficult for those in our church who are uh, most vulnerable and alone. And so please, brothers and sisters, the practicing of hospitality in this time is paramount. And so do not let the virus keep you from inviting people over for a meal. Uh, listen to Dr. Pass testimony of that young woman and how she came to the Lord through the care of Christians. And so let's be like that. Let's be that kind of church. You are in many ways. I want to continue to exhort you in it. When I was in France, my favorite stop of them all was to a cathedral. I, I at one time could pronounce French words, and this one ends in RTR. And I listened to it, the pronunciation of it, and I still won't say it right, but C-H-A-R-T-R-E-S, charts. The history of the building itself is sublime. The cathedral, the cathedral itself was completed in the 13th century. On the site it was constructed, held at five previous cathedrals going back to the 4th century. And it's beautiful. Some of the stained glass is still original from the 13th century. And, the, and this little town around it is, is, is just uh, picturesque. It was gorgeous. I wish we could have stayed there for all the 16 days. That kind of cathedral, when I was in it, the, the, the light, the, the grandness speaks to the transcendence and majesty of God. And that's how this letter closes in chapter 6. As for you, O men of God, flee these things that came before. Flee sin, flee discontentedness, flee undue desire for wealth. Flee these things. Instead, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you've called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who made who in his testimony for Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we're looking forward to, right? We are awaiting the return of the King, which is our blessed hope. He is coming to inflict vengeance on all those who do not obey the gospel. He comes to be glorified in the saints. We marveled at 
among all who believe in 2 Thessalonians 1.10. That's who we're awaiting. And who is he? Who is this God that he has revealed? He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. He is your and my and this world's only sovereign. He rules all things with all authority. And he has given his church to be the pillar and buttress of truth, which we are to confess and hold fast to and declare to all rulers in this world and to each other. He is our sovereign who has given the church this place of preeminence. And so you and I should realize the essential nature of the church and not forsake her during this time. He has life eternal. He is immortal in himself. He gives life to all things. God just doesn't have existence. He is existence. He isn't just a higher form of being. He is being itself in himself. And so we depend on him in all things. All things move and live and have their being in him. All things hold together in him. And, and he is our king. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is holy, holy, holy. His glory is higher than the highest heavens. What he has created and revealed of himself in nature and in scripture is just the hem of his garment. He transcends all things. And so to him be all honor and eternal dominion. To him be all glory and power and majesty and strength. Make that your confession. Don't settle in this day for anything less than enjoying this great and sovereign, immortal God who one day in his son will return and make all things new. Let's pray. Father, would you even now teach me, teach us to pray? We do groan in this world. We do await the revealing of the glory of the sons of God. We do look to the day of your son's coming. But truth be told, we don't often. And not with the eagerness that we read of in Scripture. And yet, come, Lord Jesus, come. Would you teach your people to desire, to look to, to consider his coming before and above all else. We do pray for our governor that you would turn him to you, that he would be convicted of his sin, that he would have fear of him and conviction of sin could fall heavy on him, that you would do whatever is necessary in his life for that, that you would turn him to Christ. God, would you help us as your people to have wisdom during this time to stand firm where we need to and yet do so submissively and humbly 
to give honor to whom it's due and to submit to the governing authorities that you'd established, that your word and that your name may not be reviled among us. God, we ask that you use this time to bring many to faith in your son and that we would be such people in our practice of hospitality for, uh, for, for, for each other and for our neighbors such that they would see our love, turn to you and glorify you. And so, God, we turn to you and help. In Jesus' name, amen. The charge is this. Um, I exhorted you during the sermon to practice hospitality. And so that's the charge. This week, invite someone over, maybe just a campfire and s'mores. Maybe it's smoked brisket. If it's that, I'm in. Um, But I encourage you, even right now, invite somebody over for lunch. Even if you didn't have plans, let's, let's be hospitable. May God give you strength and wisdom to fight the good fight. May he strengthen your grip to take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. May we go in the presence of God who gives life to all things and to Christ Jesus who before Pilate made the good confession so that we might keep the commandment to love God and to love one another unstained without reproach until the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ The grace of God be with you all, and amen. Have a great week in the Lord. I love you.